This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 11 of Commentary, Trek Stars. Is it really 11? It, for past it, it feels like one, because they've all been such a delight. <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm John. And today we're going to talk about uh, the third movie which J.J. Abrams produced, and it is Joyride. Yes, Joyride. But before we get into that, uh, let's talk about a little Star Trek creator news, shall we? I think we should. Okay. Uh, the Oscars were announced this week. Last week, I guess, technically, uh, about a week ago, eight yeah. days ago from, from when this is dropping. And there were a ton of Star Trek vets who were nominated. Um, most of them are people you've never heard of. Uh, but that doesn't mean that their contributions to the year in cinema should not be acknowledged. So we're going to acknowledge them. Yes. <laughs> Uh, first off, first and foremost, you know, most noteworthy because, you know, you can see him and stuff is, uh, Tom Hardy, who of course played Shinzon or and it... caught, caught everybody's eye back then. Even those that, uh, don't care for Nemesis were more than willing to acknowledge, Hey, that guy's got real talent. Like everybody enjoyed watching Hardy in Nemesis, even the people that didn't like the movie and it's, you know. I, I enjoy seeing him have success like this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's talked a lot about how, like, he was kind of, like, promised that, you know, Star Trek would be the thing which m- made him big. And it didn't. It didn't make him big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he took that hard. And he fell off the map for a while. And he finally came back with which, with a movie that you just watched uh, called Bronson. Yes, not and, for the faint of heart. <laughs> but a good movie nonetheless. Yeah, oh yeah. And we, we do a commentary for that movie if you want to go over to commentarytrackstars.com. I do. I'm going to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 a good commentary. Um and he of course has made a name for himself ever since and now he's nominated for best supporting actor for The Revenant which everyone knows from last week is my favorite movie of 2015. <laughs> I I couldn't believe how much you raved about it last week. <laughs> you know, but was I, he good in it? Was he best supporting actor nomination worthy good in it? He was good in it. He was not best supporting actor nomination worthy in it. You you feel honestly that it's a slot that belonged to somebody else. Yeah. And you think just Revenant Mania gave yeah. him that slot. I mean, certainly he's better than DiCaprio in it. Not that DiCaprio is bad either, but there's a lot of, like, grunting and, you know, killing animals and, you know, whatever, burying people alive and, you know, bear attacks. So, oh, okay. So I didn't know Revenant was a comedy. Okay. Sounds like a lighthearted romp. It's pretty funny, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, there were moments during that bear attack where we're, like, sitting there like... How long are they going to go? I mean, because it just kind of, it like, it's, it like happens <laughs> and then it keeps on going. And it's like one of those things where you're like, are they going to just, is this the whole movie? I mean, is this all two hours and 45 minutes? It's just <laughs> him being attacked by this bear. <laughs> but um, yeah, eh, whatever. <laughs> uh, so he's nominated, you know, so good for him. Yeah. Um, Marianne Brandon and Mary Jo Markey, the editors of Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness, as well as uh, most of the other J.J. Abrams uh, movies and TV shows, they were nominated for Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. A uh, very deserved nomination. If anybody has read the novelization of The Force Awakens, they understand uh, how seamless they made the cutscenes feel. Or yeah, I, made I've it feel always... that they weren't in there. However, I'm trying to say that. You know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they, I've always been big fans of them ever since um, Mission Impossible Three, 
just their sort of like, you know, clean storytelling, you know, this shot leads to this shot, leads to this, this shot, you know, nothing like fancy, nothing like crazy, no like, you know, JFK stuff going on or anything like that. Just very <laughs> straightforward, you yeah. know, um, uh, storytelling, action storytelling. I think it's really good. Um, okay, for sound editing. Now, I know, like, people are like, what's, like, there's sound mixing and sound editing. Like, sound editing, I mean, even I have trouble understanding exactly what, what these things are. But basically, like, sound mixing is basically sound. Like, what's the best sounding movie? It's like the sound equivalent of cinematography. Whereas right. sound editing is like the editing equivalent right the, the actual putting together of the adr and the foley recording and that sort of thing whereas the right. mixing is once all know, those are in yeah, place then yeah did they use the channels properly was the back too loud during a scene where it needed to be up front and that sort of thing yeah exactly yeah so so sound editing is kind of like the lesser of the two categories in a sense um but matthew wood and dave accord who yeah. uh, I think a lot of Star Wars fans would know. You've got a picture of Matthew Wood sort of yeah. hanging up right behind you. General Grievous himself. Yeah, he's the voice of General Grievous. And uh, the two of them um, worked on Star Trek Into Darkness, and they were the sound editors of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. They're nominated. Um, two other movies in the sound editing category had um, uh, Star Trek vets working on it. Mark Mangini, who worked on The Motion Picture, The Voyage Home, The Final Frontier, and, yes. and Star Trek 09. He is nominated for Mad Max Fury Road. Well, and, he should win that award because <laughs> if there's one thing that that movie really excelled at besides everything, it, it was sound. They oh, really yeah. use sound well in that film. That movie's amazing, yeah. Yeah. And Alan Robert Murray, who worked on the motion picture and Nemesis, is nominated for Sicario, which that sound is also very good in that movie. I haven't seen Sicario yet. Check it out. It's one of the best yeah. movies of the year. It's really I, good. I've heard that it is, I'm, yeah. Like, if, you, if you're into, like, you know, sort of, like, weird, subversive, drug cartel movies with, like you know, secret government agencies mm -hmm. taking over, you know, not to mention like Emily Blunt is so awesome in that movie. She's awesome in everything, but it's, is she, it's, is she uh, um, edge of tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah. Like, pretty you know, much. Just, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Sold. Yeah. You know, there's, there's someone online who jokingly sort of like jokingly sort of seriously suggested that she should play snake Plissken in the escape from New York remake and that kind of like took off now like if they cast anyone other than emily blunt as snake plissken i'm going to be disappointed you know i am i think if you're going to remake escape from new york <laughs> if you're going to have the uh the 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 cojones to remake what what i consider one of carpenter's absolute best efforts yes why not like Emily Blunt has proven that she can carry an action film with Edge of Tomorrow, and she's proven she can bring physicality to the role. I, I could totally see that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So yes, Alan Robert Murray, he's nominated. Now, if we get into the sound mixing category, which is basically best sounding movie, okay? Yes. Five nominees, five Star Trek vets or five movies with Star Trek vets who who worked on them. Okay, this is crazy. I mean, Andy Nelson, who worked on Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness, he's nominated for both Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens and Bridge of Spies. So wait, he he got two nominations. Yeah. So he, he people could wind up, up voting himself. against him for himself. Yes, he's splitting he, he his own vote. He needs to pick and choose which movie he likes better out of the two movies that he mixed. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Chris Jenkins, who worked on Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, um, Star Trek Generations, and Star Trek Nemesis, he's nominated for Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, he should win. Paul Massey, who worked on Star Trek 09, he's nominated for The Martian. And Frank A. Montano, who worked on Nemesis, and Randy Tom 
who you'll see all over like every movie. He does everything. He worked on Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. The two of them are nominated for The Revenant. Yeah. Oh. Uh, so so yeah. So that's that's sound mixing. Star Trek vets just dominate sound mixing. Well, Star Trek movies have always sounded very good. That's true. That's true. Now, original song. Okay. Think what? Wait, how? Wait, uh, how can a Star Trek person be in there? I don't remember anything special playing over. Well, oh no. What about uh, Star Trek Five? There was the band from Star Trek Five nominated. No, the people who who did the the Moon's a Window to Heaven. That's right. No, no. Oh. Which I think was Jerry Goldsmith, by the way. But no. Um, no, no, there was a band who did it on the expanded soundtrack. There's an actual. There, there was on the regular soundtrack. It's on there. Oh, it's on the regular. Oh, I thought. Oh it was yeah, on I've got it on my iPad. On my iPod. Yeah, for sure. Oh, all right. It's it's awesome. <laughs> I like no, it. Um, it is it is a a song called "Till It Happens to You" from a documentary called "The Hunting Ground," uh, which was written by well Lady Gaga and Diane Warren, who of course. <gasps> Her heart took her there. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if she really counts since that song existed prior to, you know, Enterprise, but whatever, because that was originally appeared in Patch Adams. Who cares? It counts. She counts. She counts. Now, visual effects. Okay. As is no surprise to anyone, Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens was nominated. And, of course, Roger Guyette, who worked on Star Trek 09 and Into Darkness, was one of the visual effects supervisors. Mm-hmm. And he is nominated along with a guy named Patrick Tubach, who uh, also worked on Into Darkness. So, okay. good for them. And now, not not it's not just Star Trek's past, which is, is celebrated by the Oscars. <laughs> it's also Star Trek's future. The Revenant is nominated for Best Visual Effects, and one of the people who is honored in that in that group is the guy who did special effects, which, as I understand it, is like sort of like the practical things, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he wasn't doing the CGI bear. He was doing the animatronic bear kind of thing. You know what I mean? Or maybe he was, like, blowing things up. Who knows, right? Right. Like, like the puppeteers who worked bb8 like they would be like the special effects guys right i mean yeah that's how i understand it but it's still it's wrapped into the visual effects category well um there's a guy who worked on the revenant who did special effects for the revenant revenant named cameron waldbauer and he is Mm -hmm. the special effects supervisor on star trek beyond awesome yeah so, we're so they've already get got some... an Academy Award nominee working on the show. Exactly. Nice. Right? So, so congratulations to all of the nominees, and uh, we'll let you know who wins in about a month or so. And I'm excited. You're going to watch. I'm going to wait for the replay, the, the recap. <laughs> uh, it, it could Monday be, morning or whatever. It, it could be fun this year because Chris Rock's hosting, and I love Chris Rock. Oh, Chris great. Rock is generally pretty funny. But he I, is very funny. Like I He's was, already tweeted, um, tune in to the Oscars, the white BET Awards, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty great. But. Yeah. See, the thing is, oh, gosh, it, for me, it it would kill me, though, if I saw him get neutered by the, you know, the, the presentation that they have, because they, they tend to undercut comedians like they don't let them go. Like Chris Rock is best if somebody just lets him. Let's him go. Well, he's got you his know? monologue, which will be great, yeah. and then he'll basically just kind of drift into the shadows for the rest of the night, you know. So you can tune in for the first ten minutes and then turn it off. That's what I will do. Yeah. That's what I'll do because no hosts will ever be as good as the uh, Alec Baldwin Steve Martin duo. Uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about I there. Love that year, I that mean, year was I, awesome. I'm I'm a little too young to have fully experienced Johnny Carson on on you know the Oscars. Okay, but. well, all right. Okay, yes. I, you know what? They're the best in the last I don't know ten years. Yeah, I mean, you know, Billy Crystal. I'm I'm you know I've always liked. You know, he was sort of like my guy. Eh, he was okay. But the person who I always say every year when it comes up, I always say the same damn thing, and no one ever. Steven Soderbergh. No, he should direct the Oscars. <laughs> that would be awesome if he was directing them. But no, William Shatner. 
Obviously. Well, he was he was part of the opening routine for uh, Seth MacFarlane. That's true. That's true. But they need to. They, he should host. He should host. I'd be fine with that. That would be, be cool. Amazing. That would be amazing. He's yeah. a good comedian too. Oh yeah, for so. sure. Yeah. No, I, I I love the Oscars. You know, I do. For the past, this will be our fourth year that my wife and I go to the two day long best picture showcase where they oh, show yeah. all mm-hmm. and it's especially exciting this year because with the exception of the revenant all of the nominees are actually very good and what makes it even more exciting i think i'm more excited about this than she is my wife hasn't seen a single one of the nominees so like oh, all eight movies are going to be brand new to her you know it's pretty oh, that's cool. always fun too to see a movie you've seen and you enjoy and take somebody with you that sort of gives you the opportunity to experience it, you know, a little more freshly than just seeing it again. You know, you, you sort of like catch that person's energy. Yeah. Robert Altman said that uh, if he was stuck on a desert island with any one of his movies, as long as he had someone else to watch it with, someone different to watch it with each time, he could watch that movie every single day and never get bored of it. Oh, yeah. cool. I like that. Yeah. And I feel like we kind of virtually did that this week because I yes. had seen Joyride mm-hmm. and now I was sharing it virtually with you. With me. Yes, <laughs> with me. I could have sworn I had seen this movie before, but I was wrong. I, I had confused seen this it with uh, Contemporary, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, I had seen that movie too. So, Joyride. Yes. Produced by J.J. Abrams, of course along with a guy named Chris Moore, who um, is probably best known as one of the producers on Project Greenlight. Uh, mm-hmm. But in addition to that, he was like the producer of the American Pie series and also um, Reindeer Games, which is... Um, oh, and an absolute treasure of a Ben Affleck film. I love Reindeer Games so much. The of new Beverly was showing it last month. I'm like, ah. <laughs> oh. I love it. John Frankenheimer, you know, guy who directed Manchurian Candidate and everything. He did. And he also directed Reindeer Games. It's his last theatrical movie, yeah. The director's cut, honestly, is a lot better, but I love it. I love it. How much different footage is in the director's cut? A lot. You know, basically they made him tone it down. I mean, like you watch the director's cut and you're like, ow, Ow, ooh, you are mean, you know? Okay. But the the theatrical, it's like, eh, you know, like the director's cut has like, you know, Gary Sinise like throwing darts into a guy's chest and stuff like that. You know, I mean just it's stuff like that. It's yeah. it's it's just a little a little meaner, a little rougher around the edges. But All right. uh, yeah. It's good. Anyway, um it was co-written by J.J. Abrams as well, uh, along with a guy named Clay Tarver, who hasn't written a lot of stuff, but he is one of the writers on uh, that show Silicon Valley, the Mike Judge show. Oh, the show. Mike Judge show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was directed by John Dahl, who's kind of a legendary director. He directed The Last Seduction, uh, Rounders, which everyone loves. Yeah. And has since moved on to to do a lot of television, including Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, Hannibal, Dexter, and Jessica Jones. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty interesting um, resume there. Uh, A lot of cool people worked on it behind the scenes. Jeffrey Jurr, who went to my alma mater uh, and won a few Emmys uh, for things like Carnival. He, He was the cinematographer. And the costume designer is Terry Dresbeck who is Ronald D. Moore's wife and costume designer. Well, there you go. Yeah. So anyway, uh, this movie stars... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the credits in the... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In the it's credit order. Um, mm-hmm. Just to give you an idea of the times we were living in. Steve Zahn, mm-hmm. Paul Walker, yeah. and Lily Sobieski. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Paul Walker did not get top billing. The interesting thing is this movie did come out a few months after The Fast and the Furious, but it 
was made a couple years before the Fast and the Furious. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at even in the movie, there's like dates that they're writing down on their carbon copy credit card receipts. Wow, did that take <laughs> me back too? I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, yeah, right. I worked at a store that used one of those machines. It's crazy. Those things were just a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it says like 1999 and everything, which is, uh, you know, like when it was made, but it, it went through such a, a s- extensive reshoot phase that mm-hmm. it didn't come out until 2001. Um, and uh, there were lots and lots of changes which were made. The DVD has, I think, four alternate endings, including one which is like 29 minutes long, you know? Uh, see, the thing is, I wish I'd gotten the DVD now instead of just uh, renting it from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I did the same thing as you. So yeah. I've never seen that. I, I think I think you can find them on YouTube or whatever. I'll have to check them out. Oh, but... that's right. YouTube. Yeah. Another thing that did not exist back then. <laughs> so true. <laughs> um, so for our purposes, one of the things which is most interesting about this is the fact that it's the first Bad Robot production. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly the second Bad Robot production to be released by about five days, if I'm doing the math right. Mm-hmm. Because even though it was made a couple of years before, it came out like five days after the premiere of Alias on television. Oh, okay. Yeah. But this was, regardless of that, it was still the first movie. So that's kind of interesting. Big week for Bad Robot when you think about it. First television show and first movie all in the span of like five Making days. a splash. So, uh, yeah. Can you give a, a synopsis of, of Joyride? Yeah. A, uh, a, a guy is, is sort of has the uh, long-distance love vibe for uh, Paul Walker, has long-distance love vibe for Lily Sobieski. Uh, he's supposed to fly home. Um, but he really wants to uh, meet up with this this fine young lady, and so he sells his plane ticket, buys a used car, and of course, along the way, has to pick up Steve Zahn, his brother, who is a ne'er do well who's in jail yet again. Uh, and so they put a CB radio into the car since they have to drive for so. And boy, is that that's a flashback <laughs> moment for me. Um, yeah. They they put a CB radio in the car and uh, they taunt a trucker by convincing him that there is a uh, a lovely lady waiting for him at their motel that they're staying in, and of course, you know the guy staying next to them is a real jerk. So they tell him to go to that room and they think, ah, oh, this is going to be so funny. He's going to show up. There's going to and the guy winds up getting um, he does he gets beaten and left for dead in the median uh, down by the way of the hotel. Without a jaw. with Oh, that's right. Without a jaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so basically, the, you know, the, the trucker harasses them and, and is chasing them. And there's all of this stuff. And he gets them to apologize, but then comes back later um, and says, you know, basically because they pretended to be, a, a, you know, a woman to lure him in. A woman gets in the car. So the guy says, oh, I thought you said there was no woman. And, you know, the chase and the hijinks ensue. Uh, until the the urban legend style ending, uh, which you know is still fun. I mean, the, the whole movie's executed. I, I thought it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it is a time capsule for, like you said, for the carbon copies, for the CB radio, and that sort of thing. But it's just a fun, you know, it, it's just like the campfire story of the guy who left the hook in the the car door. Yeah. You know, it's just that fun sort of cautionary tale about be careful who you mess with because they could be a killer, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I thought it was, um, uh, well, I don't know. When I first saw it, yeah. I, did, I did not like it at all, you know. And, and this time around, I think I appreciated it more, but I still wouldn't go so far as to say that I liked it. Like, it, it is... <laughs> It feels like a, a, an actual movie, unlike the last two, perhaps. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, J.J. Abrams is learning as he goes. Definitely, <laughs> there, there's some some interesting stuff in there. You know, I mean, clearly you can see very early on J.J.'s uh, love for Spielberg. Here, 
you know, this is mm-hmm. very much sort of a dual um, homage in a lot of ways, I think, in the same way that, you know, Super 8 is a E.T. slash whatever homage, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but, and, and I mean, there's some good stuff, you know, good performances all the way around. I mean, we didn't mention that the uh, the voice of the... Oh, yes. ...is Ted, Ted the- Levine... Buffalo Bill from <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, and he's he's really really good at being creepy. His voice is just he he knows how to modulate it. Like he's already got that rich voice. He knows how to modulate it to put you on edge. It's really good. Right. Exactly, you know. So 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 that that is is all, you know, good and everything like that, but I don't know, there's just something about movies like this where it's just kind of like it starts off with the characters doing something incredibly stupid, yes, which puts them in this predicament where I'm Correct. just like, when they're doing it, I'm thinking like, why are you doing this? Why, why, why? <laughs> and even if you don't get killed for it, you're still kind of a jerk. And Kind of. <laughs> kind of a jerk. What these yeah. guys do, I mean, come on, Steve Zahn, his brother deserves everything that comes to him in the in, in the course of the film. I mean, that's exactly totally what I'm does. saying. You know, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. It's just like I have no sympathy for you guys. You know, I kind of wish that they would just get yeah. it all over with. You know, I don't know, but see, the thing is, as somebody who grew up in a uh, you know a fairly rural-ish area, um. You know, there were a couple of summers where, yeah, riding around with your friends with a CB radio, like giving static to, to people who were never going to be able to. I mean, it it is, in fact, the Internet chat room on wheels. You know, like you could just give you could just be a, a terrible person to somebody. And when you're, you know, I think these guys are a little old for it. Like if they'd been a little younger, like 15, 16, 17 years old, you can see somebody being, you know, this much of an obnoxious ass. Yeah. And get a kick out of it. But they're old enough in this movie that they, you know, you really do feel like I, I get what you're saying where it's like, you guys should know better than this. Come on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, I don't know. I mean, see, that, that whole thing, it was just like, you know, so the whole time I'm just like, I have no sympathy for these guys at all. You know, I'm not rooting for them. I don't feel bad that they're in this situation. And then it just sort of becomes a thing where it's just like, Oh, they're they're being chased. Oh no, someone's you know watching out for them. You know, it's I don't know. It just it's like so kind of like predictable, and it gets to a point where you're just kind of like, well, eventually this will be resolved in some fashion, some completely random fashion, as demonstrated <laughs> by the fact that there's four endings for this movie. You know, and it's yeah. just like, you know, well, okay, well, then then this happens, and then the movie's over, and it's like, okay. I don't. Yeah, but see, the thing is, a movie like this, you know, I enjoy a movie like this because it it's not there's no uh, pretension to it at all. Like it is just, you know, what we're like, uh, you know, I, I think I said campfire story earlier. It's just the scary, spooky story you tell. Well, I heard about a guy who one time was driving a cr- like. Of course, it's a it's a horror movie sort of thing where it's like everything that happens is way beyond the realm of plausibility, yeah. like to an absurd level. But it's still fun to watch. Like you you don't you don't assail the logic of a of a spooky story. You just listen to it and enjoy it for the emotional response. So that's my take. I mean, I can see that you know, and there's certainly movies like this that I do respond to. I mean. Like last week we talked about, I know what you did last summer. You know, I enjoy mm-hmm. that movie. You know, I I know that there's not much going on in it, whatever, but I I enjoy it. You know, it's it's fun and it's very similar to that. Only it's like a guy with an ice hook instead of you know, actually it's very similar to the, like it's almost like the exact same plot. Yeah. Just with well, I mean, a, yeah, ice hook their, instead of a yeah. you know. <laughs> At their at their core, <laughs> these movies are all basically functioning from the same template. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're very they're very plug and play. Um, yeah. But you know, I, I guess you know, since Abrams also co-wrote the script, you know, there's some snappy dialogue in it. There's some Abrams esque sort of flair to the conversations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There there's some things in there which which I do like quite a bit, and I think it's also interesting to see that he is kind of 
branching out and doing other things, you know, and it, it's it's interesting that the, this is the first movie that he, you know, produced, you know, with, with Bad Robot, yeah. and it's like the scale of, of the movie is interesting because, you know, like the things that he did for his friends were obviously like small, micro-budget, whatever's, if you look at some of the stuff that he was writing, it was very diverse stuff like, um, you know, regarding Henry and mm -hmm. uh, uh, Armageddon, you know, and and here for like essentially his first movie that's fully his, he's doing something which is smaller, but not like super small. It's like yeah. very much sort of like a mid-range movie, you know? Yeah. And 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 that's kind of cool and and sort of like tailoring the script to that, you know, it's commercial but still mm -hmm. has kind of a a dark side to it. It's a horror movie essentially. Yeah. And I don't think he's ever done a horror movie before or since. Well, Super 8 maybe and I guess Cloverfield yeah. you could say. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think in that, terms uh, of writing though. Cloverfield yeah. I'll give you, but yeah, Super 8 I think is really sort of pushing. Yeah. It's got yeah. elements, but it's not yeah. 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 So so I think it's kind of interesting that he's kind of trying different things out and he's, you know, doing something which is unique to his filmography here. And mm -hmm. uh I think it's interesting that he chose this as the first bad robot production. I Well, I you know to to speak to your point about like the scale and everything is yeah, he he had these micro budgets and then it seems as if he you know he wanted to make sure that this movie made an impression maybe because, you know, with the truck stunts and there's, you know, the exploding car at one point um, and the the makeup effects at the end with, you know, Steve Zahn's leg and everything like that, like they're done in small locations, but you know, like I guess you could say that he, you can see that he's setting the stage for how to, produce or you know put in place the pieces necessary for the bigger action sequences that are going to come later yeah you know yeah like he's learning from this how when i get even more money how can i stage this in such a way because if i can make this look successful here you know i know i can make it look successful for a couple million more down the road yeah yeah it's also interesting that he chose not to direct it himself you know he, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I can see it as sort of being. I mean, obviously, he he wanted to to be a filmmaker because he became one. I mean, he directed mm -hmm. the pilot for Alias, you know, just uh, just after this, you know, and and he had also, I think, directed some episodes of Felicity and everything. But there was some sort of like almost like fiscal responsibility on his part here to say, mm -hmm. I'm not going to direct this movie, even though I'm producing it and writing it. I'm going to hire someone who is an established filmmaker to come in, someone who's made a couple of really great movies. I mean, both The Last Seduction and Rounders are fantastic, and Red Rock West is pretty good, too. Now, see, because you mentioned this movie was delayed by two years. Rounders came out in 98? Yeah, so it would have been And this right movie should have come out the next year. Yeah, and it right? did. It came out in 2001. So what's interesting to me is Dahl goes from Rounders, which is very much a, you know, a very, uh, I guess, close in character piece. And mm -hmm. Abrams talks him up into this bigger, you know, more, you know, uh, uh, popcorn-y type of movie. You know, Rounders is a really serious thematic exploration that's kind of, you know, it's, it's so deep. Whereas this is, I mean, this is just a fun movie to make. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wonder if he, maybe Dahl wanted a, a crack at it and Abrams was able to say, look, I can't direct this, but, you know, I know you could and, you know, we can help each other out. Who who knows? Because, you know, I think we learned from, you know, from from the two, you know, from Paul Bearer and from Suburbans that he's obviously networking as he goes. These are relationships he's building, you know, as he goes along. So maybe that, you know, maybe having Dahl direct it plays into that. Yeah, and I think maybe part of it, too, was the fact that, you know, Chris Moore was the co-producer. He, he'd he done, like, a lot of Miramax stuff. He was a, 
a co-producer on, you know, um, Goodwill Hunting and stuff like that. So maybe there were some connections there since mm-hmm. Rounders was a Miramax movie. And I mean, I can see Abrams as someone who recognizes talent and says, you know, I mean, it's weird because now you see this happen all the time, you know, where whether it's Brian Singer directing the X-Men after Usual Suspects or, you know, um, Doug Lyman directing The Bourne Identity after Swingers. You know, you, you see these people making these kind of huge jumps, and this is not nearly as large of a jump, but it's still right. like a suspense thriller, which, you know, Dahl had done a few times. And I can see, you know, Abrams recognizing that talent and being like, you know what? I know that you can make a good movie here. You know, I'm not convinced that I can yet, but I think that you can, and I'm going to learn from you too, so that one day I can make a Star Wars movie. So, <laughs> so you know, um, I, I think it was kind of interesting to for him to get Dahl. Now, I also think it's interesting that this movie, along with Dahl's next movie, The Great Raid, dramatically altered the course of Dahl's career, it seems. I saw an interview with Dahl, which was made uh, shortly after, or which was written shortly after uh, The Great Raid, I guess. I guess it was when he was doing press for You Kill Me, which was his next movie after that, Okay, which was a, a much smaller movie. And he says in there that, like, the politics and the reshoots and the everything on both rounders and the great raid were so crazy he said it took him five years just to make those two movies that it really kind of turned him off from directing big budget movies which is why he went smaller with you kill me and he says in the interview like i've even directed a few um television episodes just because it's just directing, you know, and that's the thing that I love is being on set, actually directing a movie or directing mm-hmm. a show. And, you know, you look at his career now, he basically doesn't make movies anymore. He directs television, you know, and he's worked on tons and tons of really great shows. And he's become sort of like a premier A-list television director. He found his true calling in a sense. You know? Yeah. And, well, at, but you could... Also say that uh, somebody like Dahl deciding to work, who has the skill set to make a movie like Rounders and Joyride and, and, and those sorts of things, bringing that skill set to the television is probably why we've seen such a, an incredible renaissance on television uh, in terms of the quality you know, uh, of the cinematography and of the the direction and the performances because like we really have him coming onto the scene I'm not saying it's strictly because of him but I'm saying that probably people like him who don't want to deal with the hassle of a big budget movie but have the skill set to do it applying that to television has probably helped push this renaissance forward of shows like Breaking Bad or Battlestar Galactica looking and feeling the way that they do, where it feels like you're watching a little mini movie every single week, as opposed to just uh, episodic television, you know, like they help push it forward. Yeah. There's definitely people who are, who seem to be more suited to it. I mean, you're talking about like Battlestar Galactica and the head director on that show, Michael Reimer has made some pretty terrible movies, you know, prior to that, (laughs) he made queen of the damned, uh, he made uh, yeah, that's not great. In too deep, you know. Which I mean, that movie was fine. Whatever, um, <laughs> it's not great. But you know, he's he's made these these little you know, t- and now he's like you know, I mean, amazing. If you look at the stuff he did on Battlestar Galactica, it's crazy. Yeah. David David Nutter is another guy who taught, you know he got his start on the X Files. And then, you know, mm-hmm. he tried branching out into movies. He made disturbing behavior, and he's like, this did not turn out well. And then he went back and directed Roswell, where he's like, this is what I was trying to do with disturbing behavior, but they wouldn't let me. So now I get to do it for real here on the WWWB. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah. that's just how it works sometimes. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad for him that he found, you know, something that works for him. And I'm glad for us because we get to see little... John Dahl movies on a weekly basis. So yeah, it's cool. Oh, any any uh, final thoughts on Joyride? I, I think I think Joyride is uh, definitely worth the rental. Uh, 
it, turn off your brain, enjoy it. Yeah, there are time capsule things where, um, you know, if you're of a certain age, you'll be like, oh, I remember that. And if you're under a certain age, you'll say, oh, that's right. They didn't have cell phones back then. You know, like that that sort of thing. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't think Joyride happens as a, a film concept today because nobody gets a CB radio anymore. They're just driving around and it's like, oh, I can't get my Wi-Fi signal, you know. Yeah. No. Less thrilling. It is true. Like while watching, I kept on thinking like this would be so different if they just had <laughs> cell phones, you know. Yeah. If they just yeah. had like GPS or whatever, you know. It, it's right. strange. It's strange. Um, it's definitely a product of its time, and you know, I kind of like it for that. Uh, but on the whole, I mean, while I think it is competently made, I ultimately think that um, I don't have a reason to care about it, hmm. and and because of that, I, I just I just don't think it's very good. Okay. So, yeah. so there you go. So uh, in a complete reversal <laughs> of everything. <laughs> I've come down positively on the side of the movie this week, and you've come down negatively. It so happens. Up is down, black is white, everything is topsy-turvy. It'll be interesting to see what happens next week, because I honestly don't know what your opinion is of Cloverfield. And I'm going to play that one close to the vest until then. All right, well, well speaking of Cloverfield, we're, we'll get into this a lot more next week, but... J.J. Abrams, now we knew that he would be producing other movies sooner or later, but we didn't necessarily think it would be in a couple months, you know? We didn't think it was going to be seven weeks from now. Right. <laughs> yeah, we knew we knew about Star Trek. Sure, yeah. But, but we thought knew? that'll be his next one. This is what we're leading <laughs> up to, Star Trek. Oh, no, wait, nope, 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 nope. Um, so, yeah, so what was it? It was, you know, Thursday night, Thursday night. I'm on Twitter and I see uh, a tweet from a guy who writes for Collider. And he's like, uh, if you're a J.J. Abrams fan, you'll be excited about this next story. And then there's a link to a story saying that J.J. Uh, Abrams you know, and Bad Robot have produced a sequel to Cloverfield called 10 Cloverfield Lane. And it will be out March 11th. And it's like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> March 11th, 2017 or 2016? 2016, like yeah. seven weeks from now. And they're like, oh, and the trailer is attached to uh, 13 hours, 13 hours, the Michael Bay Benghazi yeah. movie. And I was like, oh, 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 okay, well, let me check out that trailer then. So I went and I, I watched the trailer and I watched 13 Hours and I was like, oh my God, this thing looks amazing, the trailer. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, 13 Hours looks amazing. But uh, anyway, the trailer looks amazing. And it's, it's, it's really interesting how, well, we'll get into all this stuff with the secrecy and, and everything, but he just made a sequel to Cloverfield and didn't tell anyone mm -hmm. and now it's coming out in less than 2 months. The the most mind-blowing thing and I you know I, is the it's not just that he does this in secret and while everybody's looking the other way. It's not just that. It's the fact that his crews and the people he works with are so uh dedicated to the secrecy. Yeah. You know like Lucas couldn't even get this type of secrecy on the prequel sets. Mm -hmm. He couldn't get this type of loyalty from people. What is it about Abrams? I mean, there, there, there is something truly special about a guy that can get this type of loyalty from the people he works with that something like this can sneak up on you. You know? Like, yeah. I think that's really the telling thing about it. For me, that's the mark of a person that's either ruling by love or fear. <laughs> and unless I'm really misjudging him based on the interviews I've seen, I think people just like working with him so much that they don't want to betray him in any way, you know? And yeah. so he's like, uh, guys, we're going to keep this completely under wraps. Nobody says anything. That's the fun of it. And yeah. everyone's like, okay, JJ, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 cool that there's a new JJ movie coming out so soon. It we won't be able to cover it as part of this series. We'll be done with this series by the time that uh, that the movie comes out. But certainly, we'll touch on it. Upon oh yeah, its release. absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, exciting times, exciting times. And yeah, since next week is Cloverfield, we'll get into the trailer and what what it all means and the history of of secrecy when it comes to Cloverfield movies and Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. some of the very, very strange parallels, like down to the kind of trailer that no one knew what it was being attached to a Michael Bay movie. You know, it's interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll get into that next week. Yes. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Joyride today, but that's not the only thing we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It would be a lot of fun to be able to MST3K an episode like (laughs) Arena, which... Who doesn't love poking fun at a rock-throwing Gorn? I mean, come on, you know? Can you find a rudimentary lathe? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I wrote that on the Babel conference today because Guy Fliegman from Galaxy Quest is the greatest character ever. Earl Grey. This 547-meter-long, 32-deck, 502-crew member. <laughs> That's awesome. To the journey! Now we go to Once Upon a Time. <laughs> Neelix tries to Warp 5 If they could have kind of told us It's more of a future for us But we're going to build up to The Star Trek you know And Larry's uh, comment back was Well that would mean that they kind of Were planning it out And they knew what they were doing Ahead of time (laughs) But sing (laughs) That sounds like Larry Commentary Trek stars I will say if you want to see what it's really like when someone slices open a tauntaun to get inside to stay warm, like in the real world, yeah, that like that was the best part of the movie. I'm like, really? Han Solo made it look so easy. <laughs> this is what happens. This is terrifying. The Six O Two Club. It's about that transformation of getting Oliver to be able to see themselves as something more than vigilantes, but being heroes. Yeah, and there is a lot of. Um... I like that because there is a lot in the in the quote unquote as you're calling it the island story, which the island now is Hong Kong, <laughs> um, as you pointed out. Yeah, earlier. I mean, yeah, it's it's a little <laughs> bigger than an island. Literary treks. Dan, are you sure that flavor isn't something like a green liquid voodoo drink? <laughs> oh man, this <laughs> <laughs> because that could be the flavor that we're oh, going for. Boy. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. And don't forget to check out uh, our daily um 50th anniversary Star Trek rewatch from there to here, uh, which you can find in the master feed or on the website and all that good stuff. Just little 15 minute uh, episodes in which we look at two episodes of Star Trek a day. They're delightful. The episodes really are delightful. I've had such fun listening to all the other hosts uh, go through and and talk about the the episodes too. It, It really is such a great, great time. Yeah, different hosts, you know, d- different teams every four days. You never know who you're going to get next. It's uh, it's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. One way that you can help us uh, keep the network going is by buying some stuff. Uh, if you go to trek.fm slash store, that'll take you to our Redbubble store where you can buy all these cool designs by our, our graphic designer, Aaron Harvey, including a, a new throw pillow with a design that he did for the 50th anniversary yeah that's pretty awesome yeah it it really is 
So go yeah. to trek.fm slash store and uh, check it out. Yep. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trek.fm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. A big thing that people love is the uh, patron roundtables, which yeah. uh, happen like every couple weeks, I think. Uh, so you can get in on that and do some podcasting of your own. Yeah. Yeah. Join the fun. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact or leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find the network on Twitter at trek.fm. You can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and uh, you'll be taken to our, our thing. It's a listener forum where you can talk about star trek or joyride or 10 cloverfield lane or anything you want on there rank Uh, the the uh produced movies of jj abrams there you go you could do that yeah 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 oh that's a new letterbox list now (laughs) yes yes i'll I'll have to wait until we rewatch them all and then yeah it'll be interesting to see yeah all right Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, do you have a book for us this week? Oh, you know I do. And in the vein of Joyride, I've selected Trucker Ghost Stories and Mm -hmm. Other True Tales of Haunted Highways, Weird Encounters, and Legends of the Road. Uh, it's edited by Annie Wilder, and it's narrated by Tavia Gilbert and Peter Ganim. And the description is chillingly, these are the true stories from the highways and byways of America. These firsthand accounts are as varied as the storytellers themselves. Some are detailed and filled with the terror and suspense that made people feel they had to share what happened to them with others. Others are brief and straightforward retellings of truly chilling events wow that sounds yeah. cool i'm yeah. shaking in my boots man <laughs> well as a trek fm listener you can get a free audiobook of your choice including this one along with a 30-day trial to see just how great audible is just go to audibletrial.com slash trek fm and sign up today again that's audibletrial.com slash trek fm and we thank audible for supporting commentary trek stars and the network all right, cool. So now we are into the bad robot phase of J.J. Abrams' career. And next week we're actually going to look at the first movie that he produced after becoming a big-time director. And that movie, as we've said numerous times already, is Cloverfield from the director of The Pallbearer. Weird. 